This episode of Exponent is sponsored by Zendesk. Zendesk makes software for better customer service. Its platform is designed to bring organizations and their customers closer together and is used by more than 60,000 organizations in 150 countries. Customer relationships are built on trust and communication. That requires making customer service a core part of product experiences, not an afterthought. Make your customer service seem like magic by building it directly into your apps, websites, and products with Zendesk Embeddables. Find out more by visiting Zendesk.com slash Embeddables. Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, apparently better than you from what I hear. Yeah, I, I don't know. I um, came back from the desert or maybe I ate some Japanese food when I arrived back in civilization and something knocked me absolutely flat on my back during the week. I, um, I can't remember feeling that sick in quite a long time. Wait, so you went, you went to live in the middle of nowhere with uh, strange sanitation habits and like mm. no clothes and then you got sick and you're just puzzled about it. Well, I, I, the funny thing is, while I was out there, I was completely fine. And then I come back to all this place with this fantastic sanitation and clothing, and then I get sick. So go figure. I think you're the first person to characterize uh, the San Francisco area as having fantastic sanitation. Um, <laughs> but- uh, I, I live in I live in a bubble within the Bay Area called Palo Alto. It's yes. a bubble within a bubble. So that is true. May- that is true. Maybe it's fair. All right. So uh, for people who aren't following along, we are the place you're at. We were talking about it was Burning Man. Um, mm. so, uh, I, I think both me and, and the audience are eagerly anticipating your report, uh, seeing as how last year, uh, it was a bit of a, if I may, if I don't think I'm overstating it, a bit of a life-changing experience for you. Yeah. And, and I, I think it, it was a life-changing experience and your words of like, can this be repeated a second time? Can lightning strike twice were kind of ringing in my ears when I went out there because I, I don't think it didn't feel as transformative this time around. And I, I think that's just a function of the fact that you go somewhere that pushes you in so many different ways that very first time. And to go back a second time, uh, short of being very aggressive in some ways that may not be sensible, um, it's impossible to push those boundaries the same way the second time. So for for those people who weren't listening last year, I confessed on on this show that I rode around the desert naked on a, a big naked bar, bike bar crawl. And I did it again this year. And like the first time, you're really out of your comfort zone. And the second time you go around and do it, it's like, much less of a it's much less of a thing where you, you feel much less uncomfortable as a result but i i also think that part of the reason i had such a difficult different experience i was about to say difficult but different experience was i was just going through some personal stuff at the time so going through a breakup and it's impossible to go out into a place wait so this time or last time this time last okay. time i was like I was I was in a I was in a really good place last time and this time going through a breakup and it's impossible to go out into a place like the desert like Burning Man and not bring something like that with you and um it, it's it, it it gives you a very different experience when when you go out there with that kind of mentality so one of the uh one of the places where I spent a lot of time this year round was actually the temple so um, the the structures that the Burning Man the the Burning Man organizers provide they obviously lay out all the roads and designate the camps but there are three big things that they do beyond providing the porta potties which is they build a center camp which is where people can get um, coffee and there's a whole bunch of dancing and so on 
Um, there's the man, which everybody knows burns, but there's this third structure that they help organize called the temple, and they recruit um, an architect every year to get it designed and then built. And I'm not a religious person, but it's the it's one of these spaces that through the culture and through the design that's that that really has come to feel to to me at least, and I realize that I risk sounding like complete Bay Area right now, but it, it comes to <laughs> comes to feel to me like a bit of a sacred space and you know going into a space like that carrying that carrying that emotional baggage I was visibly quite upset so I'm not the kind of person that easily uh, well I'm the kind of person that likes to fight for things right and this might be one of the first instances in my life where I've had to like let go like this is sometimes like you're in a relationship and it's not working out and fighting for it can actually be a counterproductive thing for both parties involved and difficult thing to get over and I was in this space and spent quite a few hours there and I was I was visibly quite upset at some times and just again like the magic of this community there were people that saw me in that state while I was there and people I'd never met just coming up sitting down beside me um putting their arm around me and it not feeling weird or uh, un, uh, or or unwanted. It just it it feels like it comes from a place of genuine concern. And there's this conversation I had. I remember having with this woman who I'd never met before, and I, I talked to her about it. And then she shared with me how she was going through some things with how she'd lost a mum and how she'd come out here to like to to reflect on that and she'd bought something that so people can leave behind mementos in the temple and the temple gets burnt and it's it's representative of of the the community more generally and the spirit you know like like it's all there and then you leave it behind and it's burnt and everything's gone at the end of the week and it, it was just a you know it was almost cathartic for me and and as i like spent some time out there and i started to get to a better place I started to witness other people going through the same thing. So I, I stayed put like, again, quite a few hours. And another another vignette that came to me was um, uh, a Marine who'd come out there with a picture of his dad. And I, I remember sitting there, he sat down right beside me and started to write on the temple wall. There's like space for people to write notes and leave mementos, things they want to burn, things they want to offer. And he talked about how he didn't have a, he didn't, feel like he'd so he'd been deployed and he didn't feel like he'd made peace with his dad and his dad died while he was on deployment and he was clearly upset and it was it was kind of my turn to pay it forward I'd never met this guy before and I'm probably never going to meet him again and he was he was standing there looking at what he'd written and he just started crying and you know you walk up to him and and you just you put your arms around this human being and you give them a hug and it's just like a very human place it's all the, all the, like, and if that happened in regular society, right, like it would be a little weird, um, but somehow in the culture that they've created there, that feels um, completely normal, um, complete, like it, it comes from a place of love. And um, I don't know, for me personally, it was very cathartic given that's what I was going through. And there are a lot of reminders, like, um, a lot of reminders for me, like, and a lot of lessons, like learning, learning to let go. Like that's one of the things that I needed to deal with out there. And that's one of the things that I focused on. Um, uh, learning to be present, 
you know, like uh, thinking about this so much. And I went into the I went into the week with a knot in my stomach, given everything that had gone on. But I came out feeling. I mean, I describe it as almost butterflies in my stomach. And I don't know how that happened because I didn't enjoy it as much. And I think part of the reason I didn't was I was just so wrapped up in my own thoughts. But on reflection, it's just like I met so many amazing people and did so many amazing things and I wasn't always present. So it was a reminder to be present. Like, so lots of good things. It wasn't anywhere near as much fun and I didn't push as many boundaries, but there was, there was a lot of value out there for me and I'm, I'm really glad I did it. So would you, would you say then like the, the fact that it was different this time, um, mm. The the bar about having different expectations wasn't mm. nearly as big a deal as it was kind of just your your pre existing mental state. I I think it's both. So I, I went with um, one of my really good friends who I went with last year, and he wasn't going through quite the same thing. Um, and he also had kind of what we call I don't know sophomore sophomore syndrome or whatever you want to call it, where right. you know it's just. I don't know that the art was as good as last year. We'd, we'd look at each other and it's like, you know, it <laughs> felt like there was more, there was more conceptual art. And it's like, you already, you're, like, you're already, you're already in the, when I was, when I, I, when I came here before, I mean, geez. And, and it was like, are the first timers as respectful of the culture? Are they picking up after themselves? So there's a big thing about <laughs> moop, matter out of place, like picking up your trash. Are the first timers like doing their part to respect the culture? Are they are they rocking up wearing, you know, like Nike, Nike shorts and Nike shirt and here just to like wildly party or are they respect respectful of the culture? And then we catch ourselves doing exactly what you just described, which is, oh my God, are we like turning into these people that have been coming for 20 years, like bitterly complaining about when I was back, when I went to burning man, like it was different, you know? Um, but I, I mean, so I think it's, it's to answer your question. It's also, it's probably a, a little bit of a combination of both. It's, it would be impossible for expectations not to flavor the experience, but I also think it would be impossible for like my mental state, not to, to, to flavor the experience as well. So are you going to go again next year? I think I will. Um, I think I will. I, it's, there's, again, just, I, I met some absolutely amazing people. Uh, and it's so easy to do that out there. There's something about the culture of the place that where um, so many of the, so many of the elements of society, like, I, like, again, it questions, it forces you to question yourself on really simple things. Like, why don't you say hello to people on the street? Why why don't you smile more often? Like why aren't you why don't you approach people if you want to talk to them? Like why why do you consider yourself weird or someone else weird if they do that? And uh, and the lessons that you pick up while you're out there. Like I talked about learning to let go and um, being more present. Like there was another one which is on the importance of hard work. So. Another good friend w- went this year for the first time and he um, he went into what I would describe or what the Burning Man community would describe as a turnkey camp. Um, it was something where he flew in, um, everything was provided. I visited his camp a number of times and the quality of the food, for example, was of something that you would expect out of a five-star restaurant, which was absolutely mind-blowing out in the desert. But... Uh, as a result of not really investing anything in it, not having the pain and suffering that goes along with 
the eight-hour queue to get in and getting in at 2 a.m. and trying to set up a tent and tr- and always being hungry and always being thirsty, he, he never really got past observer status. And it's still a cool experience if you just go to look. But one of the principles is like, um, is participation. And uh, there's a there's there's just a element of like if you don't put in the like you're only going to get out of something what you put into it. And part of getting out of this experience the maximum amount is putting in blood, sweat, and tears and all the pain. Like last year uh, when I arrived, it started raining uh, within uh, with just as we drove up, and I was setting up the tent, and it started downpouring, and oh my god, it was miserable. But like that pain, I think was part of the reason I got so much out of it. And and he just flew in, and everything was provided, and there was no pain, and he didn't make it out of really observer status. So like another lesson is the value of hard work, and only getting out of these experiences what you put in. So I don't know. It's um, it wasn't as um, it wasn't as life altering as the first time, but I don't think that changes the fact that it's still a really incredible place and a, a really valuable experience. And I met some wonderful people and I either learnt or were reminded of some really important lessons. Well, <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing to add. Come on, Ben. I tried to come in up with some of- sort of segue to go from like this, this, you know, kind of idealistic, we're going to live in the desert and it's all about hard work how, and, how about, uh, I, you know, no I, consumerism and friends to uh, like crass consumerism, uh, well, by which I mean I, the uh, Apple event this week. Yeah. So uh, one of the things it's interesting because I actually might have our segue this week, which is uh, I read your article um this week, I thought it was fantastic on the iPad and Apple's relationship with the developer community. And one of the lessons for me at Burning Man was letting go. And I actually wondered whether this isn't a lesson <laughs> that Apple might get some value out of learning. Maybe we need to see a few more folks from Cupertino out in the desert <laughs> learning to let go and trust. Yes. How's that for a segue? That is a great segue. Um uh, of course, d- undone by the fact we're talking about how great uh, oh, well. a segue it was. I mean, we, we have a bad habit of doing that. We so do. We I, do. Uh, <laughs> we're going to change the name of the show from Exponent to Segway, which is not a terrible idea. Um, that's a great name for a podcast, Segway. Yeah. How would you spell it? S-E-G-U-E or S-E-G-W-A-Y? Oh, well, we can't do the latter. We'd probably get sued, right? Yeah. No, we're, 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 uh, we're, not, we're not driving around on a... On mm-hmm. a yeah, and now they have like the hoverboards, right? Um, I don't know. You know, there were there were people out there on segways. It's like really that it's it's gone from a very basic um, um not to divert us, but it's gone from a very basic like riding around on crappy bicycles or walking to like people having segways shipped in to get around the the plier. I was just like, really, people, you you brought yourself segways out here. You couldn't get on a bike. See, here I am being. I like know you. You know you've only gone twice. I know it's <laughs> you definitely crazy, sound like. But, You've been there for 20 years. Well, apparently 60% of the 70,000 people were first timers this year. And I actually wonder if it's like when, when that number of people are first timers, like, is there enough of the old guard to protect the culture? And if, if that many people are new, it's actually being a, a, a second year, a sophomore actually means that in some sense you are um, looking after the culture a little bit more than um, all those people who are arriving for the first time. But again, uh, forward, not backwards. Let's talk about Apple. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Apple, Apple event this week. It's funny. I love the I love the letting go 
the letting go concept. Um, so just to you know rehash uh, the Apple Ad event this week, which ton, tons of new products, which were which were fine and interesting, and uh, I'm writing about those in my in my update. Um, what I wrote about in this article specifically was uh, one of the products Apple introduced was the iPad Pro, and you know, kind of between the lines, it's it's a product you know I think that is ideally meant to kind of resuscitate the iPad, which has been straight up declining in in sales for for quite some time now mm-hmm. um and you know it, it it took off i mean make, make no mistake i mean it's still a big product they sell way more ipads than, than max for example um but it peaked a few years ago mm-hmm. and it's kind of going on since then and there's questions why is it people not upgrading well but you, we're, we're only a few years in um and i'm sure that's part of it but one why are they not upgrading and then two, uh, why are there not new customers coming along, you know, coming along to buy it uh, as there are with, with, say, the iPhone, for example. And, you know, the, I think the, the is part of the problem is right there on the label. Right. I mean, wh- why would you buy an iPad, especially if you have a large screen phone uh, and you have a PC, but especially a phone? I mean, the phone is the center of everything for everyone. And that makes the iPad an and decision. Like you need to buy a mm. phone and an iPod. It's not an or decision where you're going to buy one or the other. You're going to buy a phone regardless, which makes the bar for for getting something that's just a little bit bigger, you know, a very difficult one to kind of jump over. Yeah, it's funny. I remember having this discussion with you actually in the context of the iPhone 6 Plus and the watch. And I, at this point, I had an iPad mini that basically was collecting dust and and you made the observation that actually the watch and an iPhone 6 plus would be quite a compelling combination because sure the the it's going to be a bit bulkier and it's going to stay in your pocket that much more frequently if you really need to get something uh like you need a quick notification you can look at the watch now i have the watch and i probably don't use it as much as i would have thought but like that idea of actually trying to get a device that's actually a little bit closer in size to the iPad mini, but still all the functionality of the iPhone. Can you hear that siren? I can. It's very loud. Let's let it pass. This is, there's someone's probably run a stop sign in Palo Alto and they're sending all the police after them. (laughs) Um, um, the 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 observation you made there was actually like spot on for me. I, I found that the six plus is a is a fantastic halfway point between um, one of the smaller size screen phones and also an iPad Mini. And I basically once I got the the plus and the bigger screen, it's like I don't need the Mini anymore. I'm just going to get rid of it. There's um, if I need to create content, I have the um, uh, a couple of MacBooks and. That that beats an iPad, and if I need to watch something on the go, the iPhone's always there with me. It's got better battery life than the smaller, older iPhones, and the screen's big enough that it's it's not like I'm squinting on stuff. It it really is a happy compromise. And into that into that mixture of devices, it's it's hard to see where an iPad would fit. Well, exactly. And uh, the the thing with a phone is, it's not just that. Yes, it's smaller, but it, it often that's better. It's easier to hold for one. Mm. Um, and they're big, you know, it's definitely big enough to read and you can hold it in one hand and you can, it's always with you. It has cellular connectivity all the time. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's very compelling for a lot of reasons. And, uh, and yet I do have an iPad and mm. I do carry it with me. Like when I travel, um, and the reason is I don't watch video on it. I, I don't do anything on it that I would do on my phone. 
Uh, hmm. The reason I have one is uh, for Paper by 53, the app that I use to do the drawings on, on Stratechery. Yeah, cool. And there specifically, um, I they actually Paper just came out with a, an, a version for iPhone. Uh, or it's not a universal app. But even then, I would still have an iPad. And because I need the space, I need the screen to to actually do it. And you say, oh, creation stuff I can do on a Mac. I can't draw on a Mac. Um, you know, there's certain things you can do with a touchscreen that you can't mm-hmm. do with a keyboard and, and mouse. And that's that's an example. And so for me, I I buy I buy iPad. I, I, have, I, have, a, I have the Air 2 um, because... There is an activity that I can do only on the iPad, and that activity is a single app. Like one app is enough for wow. me to give Apple, you know, five hundred dollars or whatever. That's crazy when you think about it. I yeah, it is I, though. But I, I mean, but I mean that that's it's a core thing for me. I mean, I I, I gave a talk uh, this last week, um, and as you can imagine, when I make slides, I'll, I I pull I pull out the I'll make some of them them in paper, just like I do on mm-hmm. on the website. And mm-hmm. especially now that paper is super powerful and there's some really cool new like smart shape and you can do some copy and pasting and stuff. It's it's um you can do something really unique. And obviously that's kind of a bit of a signature thing for me. Um, you know, those those drawings. And yeah, no, it's it's worth it. It's worth it to buy an iPad just for this app. That's crazy. Now the the question to my mind becomes, and I I hope I'm not stealing your punchline. Why doesn't Apple encourage like app, well, Apple? Well, needs well the, to the, the problem is there's not many apps like this, right? Exactly, and, and right? frankly, uh, frankly, uh, paper uh, doesn't make any money. They they used to sell like in-app purchase, like additional tools, um, but then they gave that up and they just you know they, they have this amazing they have these amazing upgrades that come out and you kind of get them for free. Um, mm-hmm. And the way they make money, uh, at least for now, is they sell a stylus. Uh, called called pencil um and they make money on hardware basically uh, and they give away the software for free and a life out of apple's book well well kind of except that (laughs) the stylus is uh by definition inferior to the new one from apple we get that a little bit but the point is the point is like there's no sustainable model for them to Mm. just provide an app and i think the bigger issue is there's just not very many apps like paper, like where clearly a ton of investment, a ton of like engineering expertise, a ton of design expertise, you know, a decently sized team went into create something that that is so compelling that it's reason enough to buy to buy an iPad. And my I think the big problem for iPad and is that is not the iPad itself. The iPad is fine. The problem for the iPad is there aren't enough of those sort of applications that that provide something that can only be done on on an iPad uh, to compel more people to be to behave like I do. Right, right. And and I think and and this is where you know and I ultimately do hold Apple responsible. And this was kind of the point of the, the article. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like this, this is a topic that's come up between well with us on this podcast previously. This notion that Apple doesn't take good care of its developers, and 
particularly in the instant, I mean, you made this amazing point uh, in, in your article that the iPad's not doing well and your solution, their solution, Apple's solution to solving the problem was to um, treat it as a hardware problem. Like we're going to release more and more amazing hardware. We're going to release this pro that's faster than ever with a bigger screen and whatever. And your point around actually that that Apple's got the hardware hammer, but really the problem is, is uh, driven by apps and the fact that there aren't enough amazing apps like paper um, is a is a really really fantastic point and there are it really feels like um, Apple has an opportunity to do something to fix this like they could start innovating around the pricing models that they allow developers to charge uh, consumers but, right uh, yeah yeah no yeah, I, I think that that's that's exactly that's that that's exactly right. People think that oh, there, doom and gloom. There's too many. There's too much competition. It's impossible. Well, I, I I'm not going to concede that it is impossible to make money selling apps uh, when there's like this low hanging fruit that Apple could do. Specifically, uh, number one, Apple could enable trials, and the what the reason why trials matter is because that would let the best applications demonstrate why they're worth more money. Like right now, if if there's some applications that are $10, some that are $30, some that are $100, like you're not going to buy a $100 app unless like it's super specialized, you know exactly what it is and the company has a reputation. Like you're just not going to. But if you could try it for 30 days and then pay for it, like you'll at least give it a, give it a shot, right? Um, that's number one. Number two is uh, – if you're selling anything, if it's so much easier to sell to your existing customers than it is to try to acquire new customers. Mm. But but in the app store, there's no upgrade pricing. There's like you have to release a completely new app, in which case you have to somehow let your current customers know there's another app. You have to figure out how data transfer works. It's a big mess. It's it's not it's not easy to do at all. And and that leads to the third point, which is you have no way to communicate with your customers in the first place. When someone like Apple completely intermediates the developer and customer relationship. And so the developers don't know who's buying their stuff. The customers don't know who the developer is. Uh, and you can't let them know there's a new update. And on the flip side, a customer can't give feedback to developers saying, man, this is really great. I wish you could add this feature or, or wish we'd do that, do that. And and so they don't even know what to build to to drive the up the updates in the first place where they were they even allowed to exist um on the flip side things like there's there's institutional things like if you're if you want to sell into a company and you want to sell like per seat licenses unless you get into like the company's like internal app store thing and do a separate like business development agreement with the company like which a small shop isn't really capable of um then you're also you you have to ask them to like buy it individually it just there's it's, there's just all this low hanging fruit that could help, especially smaller scale developers. And the reason why it's 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 frustrating is because one, uh, these developers we already know this model works because it works on the Mac. There's like your typical developer can make so much more money on the Mac than they can on the on the iPad, despite there being a smaller audience, because they actually have business models that work, and they're not there on. And they're out there on the iPad, and the and so who's it, it? It's foolhardy to make anything beyond the simplest sort of applications. Yes, we have tons of to do lists. That's great, you know. Yes, we have tons of Twitter clients, but it's foolhardy to make something like a paper 
or to make something that makes the iPad so compelling that you have to go buy it just so you can use this app because you're, you're not going to make any money doing it. Yeah. And one of the apps that you talked about using on the iPad Pro that seemed like magic was iMovie. And the, the only company that really has a solid incentive, well, that's not that's not entirely true, but one of the few companies that has a solid incentive to build applications like that is actually Apple because they don't have to worry about monetizing it on the App Store. They they just they they make the money out of the uh, the sale of the iPad. Yeah, but and interesting. Well, that kind of gets it gets at the whole rub, right? Because for Apple, yes, the iMovie can be free because the whole point is to sell sell iPads. Uh, the problem is that. Um, Apple kind of treats all apps like that. Like all apps should be free or very inexpensive because that will help sell their devices. And I think the rub is in the short term, that's true. But in the long run, you just end up not getting the investment in in the really complex stuff that, you know, that that's interesting. And if you think about it, the, the sort of stuff that I'm talking about is the best sort, the, the apps often on the Mac, for example, the ones that are that 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 do very well as businesses, they're more complicated and they're more involved and they they have more features than the stuff that Apple builds in. Like they're they're niche apps, and the thing with a niche business model, as we've talked about, if you're going to be you know the jungle, if you're going to be down on the floor, you need to maximize your revenue per customer, and that's that at a fundamental level is the issue. Apple doesn't give you the means to maximize revenue per customer, either from a, from a price perspective, because you, 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 there's no way to demonstrate your differentiation and also from a recurring sort of revenue perspective. Um, and, and everyone's kind of pushed down and yes, on a surface level, that's great. Commoditize your compliments, lots of cheap free apps. But I think in the long run, they're hurting themselves by not having this, the amazing quality that they have on the Mac, for example. Yeah, it's funny. It's it's like there are all these recurring themes coming up for me as I'm listening to you talk about this, which is like one of the, like oftentimes the strength is inversely related to the weakness. Like they want to control the experience. They don't want to find themselves uh, they don't want to find themselves dependent on a third-party developer like they have in the past. Um your example of how they were reliant on Microsoft and how losing Office on the Mac almost killed them back in the 90s was a great example. And there's probably some of that still baked into the culture. They're almost terrified of becoming dependent on an app coming in that becomes so important that it could lure people away from the iPad. But the funny thing for me as I'm listening to you talk about it is that um, – like the way you describe paper, for example, a paper is enough for you to want to buy an iPad. Um, but if Apple doesn't provide an ecosystem that is attractive to developers who are trying to build an app like that, someone else will come along and provide that ecosystem. And that killer app will, it won't be a case of taking the iPad uh, platform hostage. Rather, it'll emerge on a different platform and people, when they go to buy a tablet and people still are buying tablets, suddenly they'll have to, they'll have some mental arithmetic to do. Yeah, sure, I can have this great Apple hardware and the great experience, but the killer apps are, are actually on another platform. They're actually running the risk 
by by being afraid, I feel like they're almost running the risk of taking us back to the Windows versus uh, Windows versus Mac OS wars, where yeah, sure, maybe the experience was a little bit better on the Mac, but people ended up picking Windows because there was so much more choice in terms of the applications they could run on top of it. Now, I realize that's probably um, extending your argument out to its extreme, but it feels like there's the seed of that being planted right now. I, I wish you were. I, oh, I wish you were right. Um, but that's kind of what almost makes this situation more more depressing from from my perspective in that uh the the number one thing that developers care about and mm. um you know we got a very crystal clear understanding of their priorities on to make decisions back when I you know I was at Microsoft and trying to recruit developers uh mm. first and foremost is you have to have a market of people who are willing to pay and that means that's both a volume, like a, a quantity issue and a, and a quality issue. And mm. the frustration is that Apple has that. Apple has all the customers and they are customers who are willing to pay. Like they're already paying, you know, twice the price to have, to have an Apple product instead of something else, right? Um, so the frustration is uh, Windows, sure, like Windows bent over has always been over backwards to accommodate developers. They do any, they would do anything they could to give developers the best, you know, monetization options, like trials, demos, all that sort of stuff, which, which windows eight had from, from the beginning. Uh, the problem is they didn't have customers. Hmm. So you have to have the customers to start. And so why it's almost depressing from my perspective is, uh, yeah, it'd be great if there were a iPad alternative that had the sort of, uh, structure where you could build complicated apps and you could go and use them. But the problem is kind of the prerequisite today to be a platform. You first do have to be a great product because you have to have like consumers and developers. People think, Oh, it's a chicken and egg problem. You need consumers and developers, you need developers and consumers. No, it's not. Number one is consumers. Like you win consumers with a great product and then the developers will come in and expand it. And the, and so What's depressing is the alternative to there being a thriving ecosystem on the iPad is there not being anything. And this kind of like opportunity for, for to create amazing innovative apps for, for a touchscreen is just going to kind of never be exploited. That's kind of depressing. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of, of, of some kind of devil's argument devil's advocate argument I can play back against you and I'm like I'm struggling I'm I'm grasping at Xiaomi right but but like that's in an environment where people are buying lower cost devices and they're probably going to be less willing to pay for expensive apps just by virtue uh, just by virtue of the nature of of that market like it's well known that iOS iOS um Customers spend more on apps and so on and so forth than Android users. And I think if you cut that down into um, a less developed market, um, it's probably going to be more extreme again. So, so I guess I guess the argument we're hearing is that if Apple doesn't get this right, there's like in economic terms, there's what's called a deadweight loss. Like this is the disadvantage of having a, a monopoly. Like if these guy, if if they don't figure out how to create a thriving uh, environment for developers to um, develop stuff on the iPad, then that's it. We're just not going to get really the really cool, really interesting 
um, uh, reimagined interfaces that could be possible on a on a tablet a tablet computer. Yeah, and like and like and you and you see this like people's and this is it's this is why it's frustrating because the conclusion will be and maybe it's tr- this might be true I might, I might be wrong I might be wrong that it might be true that that the app store is just fundamentally uncompetitive or fundamentally you can't make money on it. I don't think mm. that's true, but maybe that's true. And it might be true that fundamentally we don't need tablets. Like phones and and computers mm. are enough. Um, mm-hmm. And some and lots of people say that. The reason I'm frustrated is because th- there to me there is a very clear thing that is a problem and could be fixed. And uh, and if it's not fixed, then it's not going to happen. We're going to learn the, learn the wrong lessons. Like I don't know. Maybe this is just more of a personal right than anything because of my experience with, with paper and like how important that application and is for me. And thus by extension, how important, how important the iPad is, but man, it'd be a shame if, if yeah, there's all these things that just won't be made because, um, because the, the business conditions weren't, weren't right. I mean, how often does that happen? Like where, where something that should be done isn't, and we draw the wrong lessons. Yeah, I, I mean it's uh, I mean it's it's hard because there's never a counterfactual, right? Um, yeah. But um, it, it's also disappointing. I I, um, I can't remember the name of the application, but there was this fantastic piece of presentation software that was built first on the iPad, where you'd type in you'd type in it would you type in the name of the slide and it would pull down an image from um, that that was. Uh, 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 f- what's the um, what's the public equivalent of um, for images where you remove the licenses? Um, creative I'm Commons. Blanking on. Yeah, Creative Commons. It had pulled down an image from Creative Commons. It would search Flickr and a bunch of other places, and it was this fantastic piece of software. And it was relatively simple, and they expanded it, but they ended up porting it over to the web and porting it to other platforms just because it wasn't enough to do it on. It wasn't enough. I'm assuming they weren't making enough money on the iPad. And you can't help but wonder how many other examples like that are going to be lost. So, well, not just that, but now just, at this point, I mean, all people will point to, oh, there's this innovative app, there's innovative app. The vast majority of them were built two to three years ago when people mm-hmm. kind of just assumed that they could make money. Like, I, what, what super involved innovative app? And again, I'm not talking about like a text editor. I mean, yes, some text editors are very involved. Sorry, text editor developers. I'm, but I'm talking about like apps that really push the envelope and do something new. Mm. Um, there's there's an example this week of the com- guys that make Sketch. It's like a it's kind of like a, a Photoshop Illustrator competitor, but mm-hmm. a lot of traction. A lot of people really like it. They sell it for 100 bucks on the Mac, uh, and with 30 day trial, quote unquote share, shareware. Um, and they do very, very well. They have a they support eleven people. It's eleven person team in the Netherlands, and they build a great app that people love. And every you know every year or so, they have a new version, and you pay again because and that's that's how you get ongoing payment. And there was someone like, oh, would love to have this app for the for the iPad Pro, and it would be a fantastic app for the iPad Pro. Like you can sketch out an, a user inter you know an interface, uh, you know, be able to do it all by hand. And they're like, no, we we can't justify doing it. Because we, without trials, we can't charge a high enough price to 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 do it. And again, you can't. You any business you have to understand: Are you a niche business or are you a broad based business? And if you're a professional tool, 
you are almost by definition a niche business, which means you have to maximize your revenue per user. You can't do a volume, make it up in volume sort of thing. And if you think about it on the phone, I mean, the phone, the phone is less of an issue because so many of the things that we use on the phone, especially, you know, communications apps, messenger, messaging apps, uh, social networks, those are all broad based reach as many people as possible supported by advertising. And then that, that works great for, for the phone, but for these kind of professional applications where you're actually doing something, uh, that model doesn't work. And that's the model that the iPad needs because the, the iPad itself is a niche device. Like that's our conversation at the beginning where the iPhone does everything. The iPhone is a general purpose device that, that ought to serve as many people as possible. And along with smart, you know, Android phones does serve everyone. The iPad is a niche device. And so Apple is rightly making an iPad Pro that's further differentiated from a phone. You know, it's got this huge screen. It has has the pencil stylus. It has all this sort of stuff. And they're charging a higher price. Like, that's what they should do. They should extract more revenue from the people who care about it. But they, they, they need to allow developers to do the same thing. It's interesting that they've managed to draw the distinction um, with the hardware, but but there's there's something blocking them, or there's some way of thinking about um, the App Store on the iPhone and the iPad that that they've kind of then they're not able to untether the t- the thinking. And I'm wondering if it's from an organizational perspective that the the way the app store and i wonder if you have any insight into this cuz i don't the way the the way that um apple structured the organization the app store is primarily focused more on the iphone just because that's what's driving most of the volume they're less worried about creating separate rules specifically for the ipad they're worried about disturbing what's working well with the iphone and part of that that may be part of the reason why this um, community on the iPad, the developer community, is withering? Yeah, I think that I think that is that is an important point to make because uh, when I'm criticizing the Apple's App Store policies, none of that really applies to the iPhone. Like the iPhone app situation is 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 pretty is pretty good, and it's pretty good again because one, the apps that matter most on the iPhone are uh, by their business models don't you know, are, are mostly advertising based. And again, that being mostly communications, broad-based apps, because mm. those apps are all about networks, right? So they want to reach mm. the maximum number of people. We've talked about 40, you reach the maximum number of people. You need to be free. And if you're free, well, your business model is obviously going to be advertising. Uh, but then two, games do well. And the, the games, well, games of a specific model, games that are, uh, have, have consumables in, in app purchase. And th- mm. this is the, this is the thing that I think is, is also frustrating is um when the app store started, there were not in-app purchases. And I think when in-app purchases started, there were not consumables. And by consumables, I mean like where you can buy the same thing again and again. So buy 10 jewels or buy, you know, buy 10 lives. Um, and you can buy it again and again and again. Whereas there, the other type of in-app purchase is a one-time thing where you unlock something and then that's it. Um, and, uh, by adding that, by changing App Store policies and adding a new capability, Apple created this entire ecosystem of of apps. And there's tons and tons of games. And there's heavy investment in games. In every presentation, there's some new game developer on stage demoing these, uh, these incredible graphics. Like there's a lot of resources being invested in building these, these involved games. And why? Because there's a business model to match. Because you can make money doing it. 
Like you can't get one or the other. Apple's done a great job opening up its API, having a much more, much more, you know, access to various aspects of the system, interact communication and things like that. But if it's, if it's not matched by opening up the business model, then it's going to be all, all for naught. It's, it's interesting. They're kind of running an inadvertent natural experiment. Now, it's obviously not perfectly compatible because one is a more niche device and one's a more general purpose device. But because the business model of the App Store on the iPad isn't well suited to the nature of apps that are well suited to the iPad and we're seeing sales of the iPad taper off, it's almost giving us some sense of the indication of what might have happened on the iPhone had Apple not allowed third-party developers to come along and create apps and, and, and Apple creating an appropriate ecosystem for them to develop all those third-party apps that have now flourished and been such a big part of the success of the iPhone. Maybe that's an interesting point. I mean, like I said, the, the big advantage of the uh, for the iPhone is that you're going to buy a phone regardless. Mm-hmm. And so, like when when you buy an iPhone, you know it's going on sale soon. We need to. Um, uh, oh yeah, it is too. It is. So if you're going to pay six hundred fifty dollars for an iPhone, you're not paying six hundred fifty dollars for an iPhone. You're paying whatever the cost of an iPhone is over the phone you would have bought otherwise, right? So I mean, maybe it's a three hundred dollar phone. That if the iPhone didn't exist, you would buy. You're paying three hundred fifty dollars for an iPhone. You know what I mean? I mean, you're because it's it's net of what you would have paid otherwise. The challenge for the iPad is it's like every dollar you spend on an iPad is a dollar you don't need to spend, but mm. but you're choosing to spend. Um, and yeah, you need a compelling reason to do that. I mean, the I think you nailed part of it is that uh, the iPhone is fine, and the app situation on the iPhone is fine, and the iPhone is all that really matters. Apple and its financial performance, all sort of stuff. So that is definitely that is definitely part of it. Um, I think the thing with the thing with the iPad and why it's su- such a compelling platform is, you know, it's all glass, as they kind of remarked in the keynote, and it becomes whatever you're working on, and that means that the thing that it becomes is actually what sells it, as opposed to the, the glass itself. And I yeah, it just I guess I've, I don't know. I almost feel like we're wasting everyone's time because we've talked about this before. I've complained about this before. Um, why Apple doesn't make any changes to the policies around business models in, in, in the app store. And I, I guess I, I'm just puzzled because it seems, it seems like a trivial thing to do relative to all the amazing things that, that they, that they do as a company. Um, and yes, you can hack around using in-app purchases to kind of do trials and you can hack around and you can add a services component, which some apps just don't need services component, but you can make one up and then charge a subscription fee. Mm-hmm. Like there are hacks around, but there, like people go out, like send me tons of email. Oh, you could do this and this. Why can't Apple just, like, it's super simple on Windows 8, for example, you upload your app and then if you want a trial, you click a checkbox and you click the checkbox and it says, how long do you have the trial to go? And it's like between one and 30 days. <laughs> like, it's not complicated. Why, 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 why do we have to have these big workarounds? I don't know. It, yeah, it, well, I mean, I, they're, well, they're going to continue to suffer so long as they don't do it though, right? Like, that, they clearly care about it or they wouldn't be investing the resources in developing a new model. Like, like they're going to keep ask, getting yeah, asked no, questions. 
why isn't this thing selling? And so long as they don't, as long as they, like you say, keep hitting the hardware hammer without going to the root cause of getting more app developers to creating things like paper, like what you described, they're going to keep having the same problem. Well, well, the reason why my kind of my my takeaway and what I think it actually makes this a, a, a more interesting question is Apple is a is a product company. They they make great products and everything about their culture is aligned around making great products. That's, you know, that's all the incentives are around making great products. And we've talked about previously when it comes to Apple and the cloud why they're kind of at a disadvantage because delivering the perfect hardware product and differentiated software and all sort of stuff is very different than delivering web services which are kind of iterative and you're just kind of fixing stuff as it goes along and continually like it's continual improvement as opposed to kind of like step-based improvement. And I said at the time that it's okay. I I'm okay with Apple having subpar services. If that is the trade-off that is necessary to consistently create better products, hardware products than anybody else. Um, What's interesting is it's kind of feels like a similar thing here where they think so much about the product and they think so much about having control and getting everything right that I, I don't even know at the upper echelons of, of, of Apple echelons, 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 echelons. Yeah. I, like, I don't know if it's even occurring to them that the issue is that, that this is the issue that someone else needs to sell iPads for them. You know, like that, that doesn't fit with Apple. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, you know, what was another, th- another point that you made that was interesting is that, that there is an, there is another opportunity for the light to go off. And that is that there are, so for small developers, obviously it's, this is not going to be a possibility, but there are big developers like Microsoft and Adobe that are starting to switch their software models to um, software as a service where you buy a, a, a recurring subscription and those guys actually have a, a really like they have an incentive to build these apps on the iPad they don't ha- well they don't have the disincentive of the app store as it presently stands for the iPad as an impediment for their development so if they have customers that are calling for stuff on the iPad or they have the resources and they decide to get into an iPad version, they could actually create some really cool software on the iPad and they're not face they're not facing this impediment that we're describing of like being um, being kneecapped by Apple's developer policies, its pricing on the App Store, its lack of flexibility. And I don't know, maybe maybe that's what causes the light to go off. People start buying the iPad because they're getting great software coming out of Adobe or Microsoft. And the reason that Adobe and Microsoft are able to do it is because they're not subject to this... this, this uh, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not just building great hardware that's the, that, that's responsible for for the, it being a great product, it's they also have to tend to the ecosystem. And I, I'm surprised that, that they were somewhat responsive with the iPhone, like the in-app purchases was an example of them being responsive. It's just a question of what's going to cause the light bulb to go off on the iPad side. Because I'm like you, it's like it would seem a great waste for this incredible paradigm to not have its capabilities explored just because they weren't willing to try a few different experiments with the business model for developers. Well, one thing that is interesting to think about is 
Um, when I talk about Apple's incentives and culture and all that stuff being a, a focus on the product and by extension, that makes them not as good perhaps as being a platform steward because a platform being a platform is like it's there in the word. It's allowing others to kind of stand on top of you, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're and, and letting them shine and letting them be the star, and, which is very different than, than Apple. And like, it's almost like, wouldn't it, it'd almost be nice if Apple could build the iPad and then kind of hand it off to Microsoft because mm. Microsoft is actually a great platform company. That's what they are. They they take care of their developers. They've been over back. That's why they almost do do too much, right? The backwards compatibility and like all the all the things that they they, they let you do. Um, they're 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 a platform company. The the problem for Microsoft, and this gets back to the, what I was saying before about about building a competitor for Apple, is that in today's world, in the consumer world, where consumers drive products is you have to be a good product first and then you get the right to be a platform and Microsoft for lots of reasons, many of the reasons which make them a great platform company means they are not nearly as good at being a product company. And so they don't have the right incentives to like uh, to be a platform company. I think you need a certain degree of flexibility, you need a certain degree of kind of letting go. Let it, like it, it's going to be a little messy. You know what I mean? Like that, that just comes with the territory. And the problem is you can't be messy and flexible and blah, blah, blah when you're making a product. No, you need to be super exact and very controlling. And so you, you have this disconnect where Apple creates the great products and gets all the customers, especially all the customers that are willing to pay, but then they can't foster as good of a, a platform as they could. And Microsoft can't get the customers in the first place. I mean, before they they had the leverage through the enterprise, right? That's how they got the customers, and they could be a platform. But yeah, it's almost like this weird. If they could have some sort of program where they handed products off to each other, it'd almost be better off. Does that make Microsoft the egg and Apple the chicken, or vice versa? <laughs> uh, I mean, I have a little bit of hope still, just because of this this subscription software model, right? Like Microsoft does actually have incentives now to like build great products. Grill build great products on top of the iPad. So, and yeah, it's obviously not going to be as perfect as a as a complete handoff to a platform. But they get they have they get by virtue of that business model, they are they do have an incentive to create something of a platform there, and maybe it might shine a light that that and and develop some cool apps. Or maybe they, I mean, who knows? Maybe they might start sponsoring or purchasing apps that work well on the iPad. Well, that, uh, to, they're already to, doing that basically on the iPhone. I mean, they, they, they now have the best email client and supposedly the best calendar client, although I haven't really tried it um, because they, yeah, they went and bought, they went and bought developers that made the best one. And now they're, it's part of their offering and yeah. no, that that's true. And, and for sure, uh, particularly for larger companies, the move to, uh, to a subscription model makes sense. I mean, it makes sense from a, from a economic perspective because the user is getting value from software over time. And so it's kind of more closely matching the, the revenue and payments with the value that's being derived. Uh, my, my, my concern though is for these smaller shops, the, the niche shops that like the, the little guys and the ones who are going to make the kind of wacky app that isn't broad based, but, but, but will sell, the iPad for some specific small number of people 
to build up a a a SaaS operation is mm. you know it, it there's something to be said for the simplicity of we're going to make a great piece of software and sell it for a hundred dollars. And then we're going to work really hard and sell you and make a new version for next year. And you can buy it for a hundred dollars or if you're an existing customer, you can buy it for 50 and we're going to basically get $50 from you for forever. Um, it, it's subscription type pricing, but with a much simpler sort of execution. Um, and like you need both when like a- Apple and the app store need to enable both. Like the app store should enable as many possible ways for developers to monetize as possible. Uh, and I guess I, I get really frustrated at, at people saying like, Oh, like I, I lots of feedback. Oh, you well about these, you kind of hack together solutions. Mm. Why, why is it on, on developers? Why can't yeah. Apple just let go um, and make, and you can still have the app review. You can still have all the stuff around the app store. It's mm. like, there's nothing compromising the app store to do this. And it just seems like no one even, no one cares. Yeah, no, I agree. I, 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 I don't know. Like m- maybe this Microsoft example though, there's something to it. Maybe it's not Microsoft, but maybe some service springs up where it's like a, there is a platform that springs up, and maybe I'm just pipe dreaming, but maybe there's a platform, a, 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 a platform that springs up outside of Apple where you buy it somewhere else, and then you download the app, and then you log into the app, and it checks on the platform that's outside of the App Store whether you've purchased it, and if you have, you can no, to no, go. Th- I mean, you can do that, and that really is the only way to do it now. The problem is, like for paper, for example, right? Paper mm. is creating this like mix, like uh, online service thing for exactly that reason. But the truth of the matter is, the paper they don't need that, right? Like it's mm. it's adding complexity, and they have to now they have to have a backend service, and they have to build this, all this sort of stuff just so they can monetize. Like there's yeah no th- no 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 don't get me wrong I totally agree I'm just I'm 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 holding you're, no you're doing that. you're doing exactly what I get frustrated about about other people it's like like yes there are other I'm not saying it's a no good no no, thing. no no I know exactly I, I'm 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 using you as a foil um okay. <laughs> they that's never happened before no no it's it? like <laughs> and I understandably people kind of jump to well what can we do instead. Yeah. And in this specific, yes, generally that's great. Like, don't let the world hold you down. Like, figure out a new way. Fight through. You can do it. In this case, no, let's not fight through. Like, yes, if you have a app where it makes sense to have a service component and it makes sense to, to and, and a subscription is a natural way to accompany a service component, by all means. And actually, Apple could do more to support those sorts of things. Um, but... Why let's have let's allow all business models to flourish. Let's not force yeah. everybody into into a single one. I mean, of course, like the, the fact that I'm suggesting these hacks right. speaks to Steve Jobs's um, complaints about apps on phones before the app store came along. Everyone well, people would say, Oh, but you can download a phone onto your your Nokia phone, an app onto your Nokia phone or whatever. Yeah, you had to run around the web and download it and you didn't know if it was virus-ridden or whatever and Apple just removed all the friction. Yes. It's just like a- click buy and done. And like it's, it's I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm twisting myself in all kinds of ways to try and figure out another way. But your point around they've done it once 
And to make the platform successful, they should do it again. And there's no good reason why they're not doing it. Your point is incredibly I, I love that example because that's exactly it. Yes, you could get apps on your Nokia before, but it was a pain in the neck. And mm. Apple just made it just one click download. Like, yeah, it and, should and be that, that for business models. Yes, you can finagle right. together a business model, maybe. And it's, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be less likely to succeed. Or you can make it one click. Good stuff. Uh, the, yeah. the one, the one, the one other thing that I didn't address in my article, and a few people uh, um, mentioned, is like they're surprised I didn't talk about Apple's thirty percent cut. Um, and the reason I didn't is because th- that that's not nearly as big of a deal. And the reason it's not a big deal is because yes, Apple could reduce their cut and developers get more money. That's not, but the the fundamental issue why apps uh, aren't sustainable is because is the is a top line revenue issue. So one. You need to be able to increase, basically, big picture, you need to be able to increase your revenue per customer. And you can do that in two ways. One, you can charge more up front. And two, you can charge them multiple times over time. And those are the two things I want to see change is, is the trial thing, which I think will, will allow, allow higher prices. And two, the upgrading pricing without, again, yes, you can hack around it, but the simple upgrade pricing uh, where you can get money from, from the customer again, you know, a year down the road, two, two years down the road. Uh, that change will vastly outpace, you know, changing developers take from 70 cents to 80 cents. Isn't going to do anything right. Change to changing their take from 70 cents to $70 or $7. That's going to change a lot more. And yes, Apple could change what they take in the app store and probably should. But even though that feels like a lot of money, if you're dealing with structural problems, that's not a structural problem. That that's a tactical issue. Yeah, right. It's that they're dealing within a they're dealing with an economy and arguing how much the GST is is like is 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 uh, is, is is like it, it seems like a, a, a footnote when you can't even get people to create things because the incentives aren't right to create things that are required for the platform to flourish. You know, right? Exactly. Um. Anyhow, what. There is something I like about it, though, like about this whole situation. As frustrating as it is for me as a as a customer of the of the iPad. And um, and yes, I'm very excited about the iPad Pro again, primarily because of one app. Um, But what I like about it is it, it shows how powerful these I think these sort of incentives are and the and culture are. And if I'm right about this thing that Apple is such a product is such a product company that they they can't the, the the kind of basics of being a platform seem to be escaping them and the online services are continually weak. I, I I like that as a observer of companies, an observer of the industry because it shows that even arguably one of the greatest companies of of, of all time, uh, the most valuable of all time, like even they can't do everything, right? And and in fact, arguably, what makes them great is what limits them from from taking doing everything correctly. And just you see this again and again. People have expectations that, especially big companies, that they're able to do everything. Oh, Microsoft should have won mobile. Blah blah blah. Microsoft didn't win mobile because Microsoft wasn't a product company. Win, to to win mobile depended on building the right product, and that's why Microsoft didn't win mobile. It's the exact flip side of what we're talking about right now, and it just. People get people love bigness and they love big and rich and and yeah. think they can do everything. But 
no, can't. Yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, that the point that like the strengths start to work against you in certain circumstances, it fantastically it fantastically illustrates. It's it's like a theme that just keeps coming up as we talk about this. And the thing is, if you're if you're kind of good at everything, if you're kind of good at being a platform and kind of good at being a product, you're you're actually that's no good either. Not really good at exactly. It. You're not really good at anything, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think if my philosophy of like companies is is predicated on one thing, it's it's do one thing, you know, do it really, really well. And, uh, and yeah, so being trying to be mediocre, everything is definitely not, not a recipe for success. It's not a bad philosophy for life as well as, as well as learning to let go. Well, uh, I think we did kind of a greatest run hit through themes we've talked about over the last 50 episodes. So, um, sorry if we're, sorry if we repeated ourselves. Well, you know, I'm coming down off my Burning Man high, so. Sounds good. Blame me for it. Uh, no worries. I will, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, mate. See right, ya. Bye-bye. Zendesk makes software for better customer service. Its platform is designed to bring organizations and their customers closer together and is used by more than 60,000 organizations in 150 countries. Customer relationships are built on trust and communication. That requires making customer service a core part of product experiences, not an afterthought. Make your customer service seem like magic by building it directly into your apps, websites, and products with Zendesk Embeddables. Find out more by visiting zendesk.com forward slash embeddables.